0: Dogen's Shobogen's fascicle about Ango. This begins, Dogen begins by quoting a verse uh, written by his teacher, Wu Jing. And then he goes on to speak about the 90 day training period. So the verse. Set your bones upright upon a level ground and to seclude yourself scooping out a cavern in space pass instantly beyond the gate of dualities, only taking with you a darkness as dark as a black lacquered pear. And then Logan comments. Accordingly, since you already have that nose ring of yours in place and have not avoided eating food, stretching out your legs or taking a snooze, you will remain so for the rest of your life. Since this is the way things are, you have not slackened and wasted your time by putting down your tools. Those tools include the 90-day Ango, which is the very crown and countenance of Buddha after Buddha and ancestor after ancestor, all of whom have continually experienced it intimately in skin and flesh bones and marrow taking up the eye and the head crown of the buddhas and ancestors we make them into the 90 days of retreat well we call that retreat for us it's ango, 90 day training period one ango is therefore something equivalent to buddha after buddha and ancestor after ancestor the ango period from beginning to end is what an ancestor is Beyond this, there is not a single inch of ground, nor is there a great earth. The gatepost for this training period is beyond the new and beyond the old, and it is beyond coming and beyond gone. When an angle begins, it is filling all space without excluding anything in all the ten quarters. And when it ends, it has gone, having torn apart the whole universe until not an inch of ground remains. For this reason, when the anger begins, it resembles your giving rise to your spiritual question. And when it comes to an end, it resembles your having torn apart the nets and cages of your delusions. Even though this is how it was, there are some of you who may well, may well have personally experienced it as hindering you from beginning to end." So this is uh, a part of Dogen's classical about Ango. Before I get into this, I just want to say one thing about Teichas in general. We have to know how to engage and listen to teisho. It's not a lecture. It's not something that we are we're engaging in order to entertain the mind or stimulate our intellect. Very much not so. So teisho is, or should be uh, exercised or practiced as an extension of our zaza, which actually means to assume a straight back posture. It means to to pay attention to your breathing. It means also to not sit and expect something to happen. The, The purpose of tesho is to awaken something in us rather than give us something to add to what we already know. There are details, right? Of course, there are. Every day show there are details, whether it's some historical details about specific people or practice-related details, which is fine. But again, all that, even with that, it's not for the purpose of accumulating knowledge. So I would like to encourage you all of us to, to treat teisho as an extension of Zazen. It's another long period of Zazen. So rather than listening from the ears and processing with the mind, with the thinking mind, try to listen from the gut, from the center. Try to allow the the words, the sound, everything you experience moment by moment, try to allow that to vibrate at your core. And awaken something. Awaken something that is beyond words, sounds. Beyond what the mind or the intellect can process. So, in preparation for this spring angle, which begins next Sunday, <coughs> right, there was an email sent out a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, detailed email with specific information that pertains to the theme we're going to work on and how, or suggestions of how to work on it. Now, standing right here at the threshold of this angle is an important point, right? Because we have an opportunity to, to put aside past expectations, uh, past disappointments, and to, to disregard this being your first angle or your 20th angle. Right? It really is, is irrelevant. What happened up to this point is irrelevant in terms of how we step into this new training period. In fact, the more we can put that aside, the more we can open up to this as an opportunity to awaken. As an opportunity to see something we have not seen before, or have not experienced before. So brand new ongoing. And then to truly use this to the best of your ability. So at the end of the Ango, at the end of the undergo, we are left with a better understanding of how to embody this wisdom tradition. Right? And maybe be a little bit less hindered by personal challenges we face. And we all face personal challenges. All of us. We have things to work with. Right, and, and when we do that, it's important to clarify that this is not a self-improvement club. It's not about setting out goals and then working to achieve them. That's not the point. Right? The, to, to deepen our understanding of wisdom and to to tap our ability to enact it goes well beyond accomplishing something or reaching a goal or decluttering my life or finding a way to deal with my boss or change my diet or whatever it is you want to do. Yeah, we work with these things but how we work with these things? What is what is the primary aspect of angle? It's much bigger than our own personal story. So we do not engage in Ango for the purpose of setting out goals and then working to achieve them, although this is a part of it. Right? Because this way of thinking belongs to the realm of self and and if we hold on to that way of thinking, it only thickens the shell of the cocoon we are working to break free of. So in the name of doing something that can free us, we get further and further trapped. And, and if we look at Ru Jing's verse, right, which Dogen began with in this classical, right, he's telling us how to enter Angu. He says, set your bones upright upon the level ground and seclude yourself, scooping out a cavern in space. Pass instantly beyond the gate of dualities, only taking with you a darkness as dark as a black lacquered pail. Now, to set your bones upright on the level ground is referring to Azazel, right? But it's not limited to a period of meditation. We can do that throughout the day, moment by moment activities at work, at home, or wherever we are, wherever we happen to be. Being upright on the level ground is being in alignment with the fundamental point, and then operating from right view, the first of the eightfold path, which means to see reality as it is, rather than as we paint it or as our minds paint it. That is to be on the level ground or to make the uneven even. Of course it's not limited to Zazen. It's cultivated. We, we get in touch with it. We get maybe better at doing it. But we going to mobilize it. And next he says, he mentions seclusions, right? creating a cavern in space, going beyond duality. And bringing only jet-black darkness with us. As dark as could be. And we need to know how to read this, right? How to understand it and how to apply it in our lives. Because we have many responsibilities, many commitments. We cannot leave behind for three months. So it won't be realistic for us to to think of ongoing these terms where right? we're not checking out and then re-merging with our responsibilities and, and everyday life afterwards so we cannot see it in this way right? and that's not what we this is not what it's about so to not cut reality to segments That we can do, right? To not cut it to sickness, to not see reality as going from one place to another or self and other, right? Or what I like and what I don't like. Going from what I don't like towards what I like. I mean, we we, we separate reality, we we chop up reality in so many ways. Most of the time we're not even aware of it. We actually obey dualities without even knowing that that's how we structure our lives. So the first question is to ask, where am I chopping up? Where am I separating? Where am I not merged with the flow? Like that we can do. That's what we need to do when we face entering an angle. maybe the the more important one is success and failure. Because those of you who have practiced anger before probably have feelings of I have failed in previous Angos. Maybe this one I will succeed. So falling down is not a failure. Getting up is not a success. That's one of the many ways we paint reality. We see getting trapped as a failure. And we see merging with the flow as succeeding. And that way of thinking raises so much tension, so much anxiety. Because we are so worried about not falling. I don't want to fall. Well, what's wrong with falling? You fall on the same ground that supports you when you walk. You never leave that ground. That ground supports you when you get up. It supports you when you fall down. The ground itself doesn't judge you. Only you yourself judge. Right? In Aikido, those of you who practice, you know, we fall all the time. No big deal. We fall down, we get up. We fall down, we get up. So we have to change the way we view what we may call getting trapped. We also have to change the way we view what we may call being in alignment, being merged with the flow. The thing about that is even falling down We never really step out of anything. We never really step into anything. The fact that we may not always see reality as it is doesn't change reality because it doesn't come and go. So we need to clarify that. We need to also clarify that we are, that perfection, inherent perfection is not a choice. It's birthright. So to to realize and recognize inherent perfection and then to begin from there, to begin to work on what you need to work on from a fundamental understanding of inherent perfection, which is beyond falling down and getting up. It's even beyond birth and death, obviously not limited to a lifespan. It's not limited to what you accomplish in your lifetime. And that's how our, our view narrows down over and over again to just my story, just what I have accomplished, what I have not accomplished, how much time do I have to accomplish all this. Long list. This is how we track ourselves. And and our job, our responsibility is to keep expanding. The tendency is to make it narrow, to become more narrow. And the responsibility of, of a spiritual practitioner is to expand, expand, expand constantly. Knowing that there is no expansion. There is no narrowing down. And it's radical, again and again. You know, it is radical because it's much easier, or it seems easier, to obey habits. It's also much easier to complain, right? Because we're used to. So, as for taking, us, taking with us only darkness, I just refer to what we chant in the Sandukkha. The dark makes all words one. In complete darkness, you don't see distinctions, right? You don't see gaps, you don't see separations. You only experience oneness. So, then how do we take that? into the angle? How do we bring darkness to functioning in the daytime, in daylight? How do we not reject our many responsibilities and challenges? So to bring the dark to the light and to not see it as either darkness or light. Which means to bring essence, to bring ground, to bring formlessness, you know, to use a word that is maybe overused, right, in, in, in Zen circles. But to bring nothing into something, and to not forget that something is essentially nothing. Now, the last thing he he talks about here in this verse is seclusion. What is seclusion? How do we seclude ourselves? So yes, we do, of course, sit on a regular basis, so that is seclusion. There are other guys. there is a sashim, during this angle. So there is that, which we definitely need to make a commitment to. But then again, to not see the seclusion as standing in opposition to not being secluded, or to being with others, or to dealing with everyday challenges. right? The seclusion is there for the purpose of enabling us to get in touch with the ground, with the source, with the core, with the fundamental. And then we have to take that with us, well, not take it with us, but we have to experience it. We have to learn how to experience it while we are in motion. So yes, in angle, we are encouraged to either sit longer, right? so your daily Zazen, make it longer, or add another sitting period. So you bring more seclusion practice to your life. You accentuate it, you go deeper. So in this fascicle, Dogen says, accordingly, since you already have that nose ring of yours in place and have not avoided eating food, stretching out your legs or taking a snooze, you will remain so for the rest of your life. Since this is the way things are, you have not slackened and wasted your time by putting down the tools. Now those tools are all aspects of practice, right? Upaya. So it's sitting practice, which is the core of it. It is prostrations. It is being a part of the Sangha. Liturgy. And everything else we do. Study. Koans. Right. Those are all Upaya. So what Dogen is saying is since you have not slackened off now what he saying here is I'll get back to that. Let me just back off a little bit. Zen training is equated to taming an ox. So he begins by saying that you have a nose ring in place and what he means by that is he's referring to that the discipline we develop through committed practice as we tame the ox, as we learn to work with old habits. So what he's saying is that, that although we have we have been going about our everyday activities, we have been able to not drop out of continuous practice. We have been able to maintain the discipline. Now, of course, maybe not quite so, right? You know, he's uh, maybe he was talking with his monks and maybe he was talking to people who were deeply committed to practice. Probably. That's that's what this is taken from. But for us, again, you know, we have to be careful not to judge ourselves here, saying, well, I'm not quite there, I'm not such a great practitioner, and, and we know where this goes, right? But this, we have to see discipline as a, as a trait that we can keep developing. right? So, so, yeah, we may have some discipline, but it doesn't mean we can't work on it we all can work on becoming more disciplined about practice about everyday life about bringing nothing into something about recognizing more and more that I'm getting caught up because I forget who I really am that's why I get caught up not because somebody or something is against me not because life is against me in one way or another just because I get distracted by life that's all which means I have to be more disciplined about reminding myself what's really going on what I'm made of what is this thing here right so the nose ring is is there because we're here we are practitioners we are engaged in the practice to whatever extent is happening, it's already happening. Now, can we deepen that? Can we use the three months to become more disciplined about what we need to do and how we do it? So Ango is an is upaya, right? Skillful a to deepen our practice like many other tools of practice. And Modogin is reminding us that it has been practiced by many practitioners before us. And if we keep it alive, it will be practiced by many after we're no longer occupying this fall, right? this skin bag. And there are two things here, right? We, we have to practice with appreciation that we have inherited this practice, This part of practice. And because we appreciate it, we want to pass it on to others. And just that can be so helpful in deepening our discipline, in in strengthening our discipline, in shaking it up and realizing, I'm not going to waste this. This is too precious to just waste and then find myself indulging in old habits. Right? So to, to, to become more resolute, to sustain the efforts, to remain encouraged. to Remain encouraged. To fall down, to get up, to fall down, to get up. To feel, to sense that feelings of being discouraged, yeah, it's starting to happen I feel it what do I do? how do I encourage myself? Right? it's one of the questions we, we brought up in the ongoing email to look at what will work for me knowing where I get stuck knowing where I get caught up what helps me shake it up snap out of it and become more disciplined. We have to be very practical about it. It's not esoteric. It's real. Then he continues, he says, the gatepost for this training period is beyond the new and beyond the old. (coughs) It is beyond coming and beyond going. Begins, it is filling all space without excluding anything in all the ten directions. That's very important, right? It's not excluding anything. Everything you, all the challenges you deal with on a daily basis, those are the, this is what anger is about. So it's not rejecting or denying or pretending. It's completely opening up the eyes, turning towards, recognizing, being at peace with the way things are. And putting aside the way things, the way I would like things to be. Putting that aside. This is my angle. This is where discipline matters most. And it says, when it ends, right, so when it begins, it fills up everything without excluding anything. And when it ends, it has gone, having torn apart the whole universe. And then, for this reason, when anger begins, it resembles your giving rise to your spiritual question. This is great, right? It resembles your giving rise to your spiritual question. What is this? Who am I? what we're doing here. We're not here to solve issues you you have, with whether it's your spouse or your boss or whatever, your children. Yes, it happens. It does become easier to deal with. But then again, it's not self-improvement club. Giving rise to the fundamental spiritual question. That's what it's about. So we can live peacefully and die peacefully, understanding who we are. Not intellectually, experientially, understanding who we are. Very different than the way we think, isn't it? And when it comes to an end, it resembles your having torn apart the nets and cages of your delusions. So then you use the angle to to break free from the nets and cages of your delusions, of habits. Realizing I am trapped by what I bring to life, not by life. By the way I view it. By the way I meet it and interact with it. So the theme of this Ango of of is to actualize wisdom. But what is that? What is wisdom? Right? This is the, the first of the Eightfold Path. Right? To, to the wisdom that we understand intellectually is not the wisdom that this is speaking about. To be in alignment with it's different kind of wisdom. It's, it's, not, it's, it's the same wisdom as we share with the whole universe. The wisdom of the bird, the tree, the ground. It's the wisdom we are born with. Or born as. Now since it is the wisdom we are born with, How can it be accumulated? How can it be gained? Actually, maybe more important, how can it be lost? You can't lose it or gain it. But we can be distracted. We forget who we are. So to, to connect with that, right the right view right understanding first of the eightfold path now the buddha spoke about eight essential conditions for arousing and sustaining wisdom which i want to want us to look at as we approach this angle eight essential conditions now the first one is having a teacher and he said here a monk lives in dependence of the teacher or on a certain fellow monk in the position of the teacher. And he has set up toward him a keen sense of he says shame, but I'll, I'll say a few words about that. A shame and moral dread and regards him with affection and respect. Now shame in, in Buddhism, when the Buddha spoke about it, but not quite the way we see it. We have very negative connotation with that. But, you know, we feel shame. When we feel shame, we actually are reminded of something. And, and when we feel shame, then it means that the ego is starting to arise. Right? There is something in us that is embarrassed, for example. Right? So, the ego, the, the sense of separate existence, Maybe not ego, it's not a great word because it's overused and abused. The sense of separate existence is starting to arise in me. Well, then that's a good thing, right? In terms of practice, it's a good thing because I'm reminded that I'm getting off course. I'm reminded that I'm getting distracted. I'm reminded that I'm separating myself. Or I'm creating a self. Okay, good. Now do something. Deepen your practice. Merge. Recognize that this is an illusion. So it's not, a, it's not a negative thing, right? It's just something that can help us if we use it well. It can also go in the other direction, right? It can, if we don't use it well, shame can even strengthen the delusion, right? Or, or the sense of separateness. Because we can become further cocooned by shame, by not being recognized maybe, by um, feeling that we fail. All these things are there to remind us, I am separating. Now, bring black to that. Bring darkness to this. Who is separating from what? Where are the distinctions there? That's all we need to do. And then, okay, get up, clean up, move on. That's no big deal. Now he speaks about having a teacher, right? And also, which is essential. Now a teacher is not, it's not that we have to have a teacher in order to put someone on a pedestal, right? That's, that's not the point. Sometimes I think we want to do that because we want to put somebody on the pedestal and then throw all our responsibility on that person and then, oh, I'm just going to follow the teacher. That's all I have to do. That's not what he meant by having a teacher. Having a teacher in, in, in spiritual practice is having a mirror. And, and, and the job of a teacher, the responsibility of a teacher is to mirror who you are constantly so you're going to be sitting in front of the teacher and then talk and talk and talk about how miserable you are. Right? And then the teacher to look at you and say, yeah, that is true. But you're forgetting the other truths. You're only seeing the one aspect of reality. That's why it hurts so much. What you're not seeing is the fundamental aspect of reality. What you're not seeing is You. All you interact with is what you think about. You, what you think about life. And that's painful. Any gap is painful. So having a teacher, also knowing how to work with a teacher, right? So knowing how to keep in touch with the teacher, not to not to allow too much time to pass without having some form of communication with your teacher. And in my experience, working with people, I've had students that uh, are no longer students because they did not know what it means. What it means to be a student. Not because I expect any. Because unless we keep some continuation, continuity in, in our communication, then it's not going to amount to anything, right? Because there's just nothing there to work with, not, no, no one there to work with. So if we're not committed to maintaining connection, then the first one of this list is gone. I said many times, I will meet you exactly where you are and I will encourage you as much as possible but it's up to you to maintain this. It's up to you to reach out. It's up to you to find ways to make it work. Also to know how to hear What we may not like to hear. That's a big part of having a teacher. Right? Yes, there is resistance. There is the other emotions that come up. Maybe defensiveness, right? Defensiveness huge. But then again, you know, in that shame, right? Okay, you feel defensive. Fine. No problem. It's showing you. I'm separating. Work with it. Don't give it a mouth. Don't give it a voice. Work with how you separate. Merge again and again. The second one is inquiring. Ask questions. Engage. Be alive. It says As he is referring to monks, as he is living in dependence on such teachers, he approaches them from time to time and inquires how is this? What is the meaning of that? That Those venerable ones then disclose to him what 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 he has not seen yet, what he has not disclosed yet. Clear up what is obscure and dispel his perplexity about many perplexing points clear, isn't it? Ask questions, clarify, work together. You may not be able to see right away, but still to raise that, that goes back to raising that deep spiritual yearning. I want to clarify. I want to break free. I know it's doable. I know it's possible. I just don't know exactly how. And anybody who is in a position of teaching, actually doesn't matter what it is you teach, you know how fired up you get when people come and ask questions, how much you want to share and give and offer to those who are keen on wanting to break free, wanting to know, are hungry for it. Right? In the Japanese culture, like in martial arts, it's always been Follow the tradition that the teacher... You have to steal the technique from the teacher. The teacher is not there to make it easy for you. The teacher is there to, to test your result. Right? You have to steal it from the teacher. Not that anything is given, but it's just a term of speaking of it, right? To, to, to really want to raise the fire or to have the fire and enthusiasm to break free, And that's on each of us. Teacher can, teachers can encourage us but cannot do the work for us and cannot raise the fire on our behalf. The passion has to come from you. And it does require a lot of passion. So the third one is seclusion. He says, having learned the dharma, he dwells withdrawn by way of two kinds of withdrawal: withdrawal of body and withdrawal of mind. Now we practice stillness to train the mind to stay, right? To teach ourselves to stay, to not move, right? And to to, in a way, to stop thoughts that perpetuate the three poisons, greed, anger, and ignorance. Right? So we, we don't, when we see it, and we, we don't go with those thoughts, we don't feed greed, anger, and ignorance. And by stopping the mind of such way of thinking, it actually tends to return to its natural state. It tends to return to what we knew when we were born. Before the storyline started to build up and perpetuate itself. Before we knew anything. So it tends to go back to that. It tends to want to rest at that state. That's why meditation can be so restful when we practice correctly. Right? And in the natural state of being, is where wisdom is at. And it's the same as eating junk food versus wholesome food. right? And the junk food tastes great, doesn't it? But the next day comes, and what happens afterwards? the high price to pay, right? But to the senses, to the mouth, it's great. Maybe we should eat and spit it speedy rather than swallow it, right? So then we don't taint our bodies with it. But so, so the difference between consuming unwholesome food and wholesome food is the same spiritually, right? Consuming that come out of and feed the three poisons versus wholesome thoughts or no thought or to think non-thinking as Dogen said. What does that nurture? How do we feel afterwards? Also engage in, in training the body to stay, right? But teaching the body to stay and not to follow every desire or physical sensation. Right? To learn to abstain. To not give it, whether it's food, whether it's sex, whether it's whatever. To learn to work with the desire. It doesn't mean to avoid it. means to learn to work with it. To learn to not be taken by that and completely identify with it or use it as displacement activities so to curb physical habits that's seclusion or that's the purpose of seclusion the fifth one is study he says he has learned much remembers what he has learned and consolidates what he has learned. Such teachings are good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good at the end, with the right meaning and phrasing, and which affirms a spiritual life that is perfectly complete and pure. Such teachings as this he has learned much of, memorized, recited verbally, investigated with his mind, and penetrated well by view. Now, Study, yeah, we do that too. Right? Whether it's book study that we, we always have in Ango now, sutras, other readings, practice related reading, Taisho, that's another thing too we, we may want to look into. Am I following up on Taisho? Whether or not I physically show up, if I'm not here. We have technology, it's so easy, you know, we have it's all there. You just touch it with your finger and you can listen as if you were there. Right? It's one of the greatest aspects of, of technology if we use it well. And course So you know to, to don't just come down and then try to Put, put an answer to, to a koan out there and then see what happens. No, you have to really want to dive deeply into the koan. You have to want to feel it, experience it. You have to be fired up about it. And not be disappointed if you didn't get it. Meaning you come down, you try, no, try again. Okay, no problem. In fact, be more energized when you turn down when your expression is not quite there yet. Engage in study. Take it up as study. The sixth one, raising determined energy. It says he is energetic, he lives with energy set upon the abandoning of everything unwholesome and the acquiring of everything that is wholesome have that energy, right? He's steadfast and strong in his efforts, not shrinking his task in regard to wholesome qualities. So to tighten up the slack, to raise that determination, to be energetic about practice, not just to go through the motion, but to constantly raise the energy needed, which means to Get a good night's sleep. Means to take care of the body. To eat well. To care for the body. To rest. Also means to watch their rising tension and anxiety level. right? Because it, is, it draws so much energy out of us. The way we interact with life is exhausting because we label it because we judge ourselves because we judge others so how can we flow through life and be energized by what we do rather than be taken down and be exhausted by it there's just so much there not just for three months ago but for the rest of our lives seventh one is refraining from idle talk in other words, he energy, isn't it? He says when he is in the midst of the Sangha, he does not engage in rambling and pointless talk. Yeah, there's just so much there. Either he himself speaks of the Dharma or he requests others to do so, or he does not shun noble silence. Right? So to speak well, to know how to speak, to know what to speak about, and to not shun from noble silence, to actually appreciate and respect silence. And again, we were born this way. What we are trying to get in touch with, we were in touch with when we were born. We just didn't know it. Now we're trying to know it the problem, right? But to get in touch with that, often what we have to do is just shut up for a while. Don't give your mouth to your thoughts. Or give your mouth to wholesome thoughts only. And then it is actually amazing what happens when we do that. You know, the last teachings of the Buddha, the last of the uh, In the Eight Awarenesses, the last one, he talked about that. He said, when you engage in various kinds of idle talk, your minds are disturbed. Therefore, you must quickly abandon mind-disturbing idle talk. If you would like to attain the joy of the extinction of delusion, you must first simply extinguish the affliction of idle talk. This is what avoiding idle talk means. You should continually and single-mindedly strive to accomplish the way. Every dharma in the world, whether active or non-active, is characterized by destructibility and unrest. Everything comes and goes, right? Everything arises and vanishes. Now, please keep quiet and say no more. Time passes on, he said, and I shall enter complete nirvana. This is my final admonition. And actually, those were his first, his last recorded talk the words. Quite amazing, right? He said shut up and then he died. <laughs> Maybe that's all we need to do, right? Learn how to be quiet. It's very powerful. The last words of the Buddha, the last instructions. Keep your mouth shut. And the last one, contemplating the true nature of the five aggregates, form, sensation, perception, reaction, consciousness, he says, he dwells contemplating rise and fall of the five aggregates subject to clinging. Thus, such is form, such is arising, such is passing away, such is feeling, such is perception, such are volitional formation, such is consciousness, such is arising, and such is passing away. Right? And then we chant the Doing prajna plajnavramita clearly saw emptiness of all five skandhas, thus completely relieving misfortune and pain. To see, to see that everything that arises vanishes. No matter how hard or how determined we are about holding on to it, everything that arises vanishes. Every thought, every emotion, every physical form is subject to the same law to understand impermanence right to study impermanence he says right to contemplate the true nature of all things to realize I am I am just going against the grain and it's not going to work I am protecting and defending an illusion. It's not going to work. What am I left with? If everything that arises is vanishing right now, I see it, I experience it, I contemplate it, what am I left with? My actions are the ground upon which I stand. My actions are my only true belongings. That's it. All we have, all we are. So in, Zaz- in Zazen, you know, we hone we the ability to observe through silence and stillness and quietly watch the movement of the mind, the sensations, the urges, the emotions, the tendency to be reactive, and then we choose to not follow that. So after working on this for a while, we begin to recognize. Two fundamental characteristics, right? First one is everything that arises is bound to subside and vanish. And the second one is that everything that arises appears out of nowhere and disappears back into nowhere. You can't deny that. We can't deny that. But do we live by that is the question. Do we live by that? And that's the task of the angle. It's the task of practice. But that's what we, we want to be clear on when we enter this angle. To examine where in your life you are slacking. But slacking in applying the Dharma not just slacking. Slacking in applying this. Where are you not operating from the recognition that everything is subject to impermanence how many things you do how many things you say in your life that are actually based on the opposite based on protecting and defending a made up reality a reality of things are fixed I am fixed It take long to find exactly where we need to apply the practice. And that's, we have a week before we begin. That's what I want you to do. Also, be realistic with what you're going to take on. Work with it. Understand how to work with your challenges. Understand that you will get trapped, which is fine as long as you bring the light of wisdom Work on it. Know what to do to get disentangled. Turn to it. Do it. Move on. No judgment. Move on. So just as a reminder, the points we, we raised, the points to consider, and we'll finish with that, it points, in what ways will I maintain my intention to cultivate wisdom? How will I sustain the ability to practice deep wisdom while dealing with current challenges in my life during this honor? Or how will I keep returning to oneness? Recognizing that I will occasionally get stuck, what do I intend to do to resume the flow? And then, the last one is, I will use wisdom to overcome personal challenges in the following areas of my life. Be specific. Don't make it abstract. Make it tangible. Make it realistic. So you can actually look at it when you forget. You can look at the list. And then, okay, here's what I'm going to write down. And you get up and do it. It's a big theme We're up for it. We're both up for it. So let's help each other. Let's make it count. Thank you.